How soon can you start the talent search? What talent search? The TGS needs to find someone who can appeal to a broader audience. Those two do not test well outside the cities. Ah, he's burning money again. What about Josh? Right, Josh. I forgot about that guy. You think that's a good sign? Welcome to Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. And back with us is Josh Adams. Hello! Visit us at IHateCritics.net. Or Mrs. Critic.com. It was a drive-by fruiting. We're on Facebook at the Everyone's a Critic. Uh, we're on Instagram, Twitter, Critics Pod is our handle. Uh, follow us there for uh, Sean's reviews, the trailers, and to find out what movies we're going to be talking about this week. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Alexa, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Uh, subscribe to the show, rate and review the show, and uh, we'll read your review on the air. And Patreon it's the best way to help support the podcast. I went and finally updated our Patreon about us. And uh, what you guys have done is got us on Libsyn, which then got us on Spotify and got us on Alexa, uh, which is really cool. And hopefully it'll get us on YouTube because I think Libsyn will help us do that as well. And that was from, you you know, being Patreon supporters. We want to continue to help grow the show. So Patreon really is the best way to do that. I hate critics.net slash Patreon. And then while you're there, there's a PayPal tab and our merchandise tab. Uh, we'll jump right in and start with trailers before we catch up with Josh. Uh, Richard Jewell. Anybody see this one? In the new Clint Eastwood film. Yeah. Right? I did catch about 10 seconds of it, but I did not watch the full trailer. Internet crapped out at that very moment, and I forgot to go back to it. That's However, okay. it, it, it looks like bad Clint Eastwood, unfortunately. And uh, it looks like uh, the cry from the angry white man, especially, where it's really kind of bugs me because there's a, there's an awkward line of dialogue in this trailer that's trying to force the narrative about uh how persecuted richard jewell was just for being a lonely white guy and that's such a that's such not part of this story that they want that to to make it relevant and uh that's that stinks yeah it, it just looks bad it looks sloppy it looks like he's just i don't know it, it doesn't look as good as I want it. It's not American Sniper, you know? That trailer was like, you know, you're on the edge of your seat. And this was more like, you got big names in here, so maybe it's good Clint Eastwood, but I, I'm not really digging the trailer. I'm uh, not digging the guy who's playing Richard Jewell either. And I I, like, I thought he was great in Itania, playing a similar, you know, dopey character. Uh, and here I just, I I didn't buy into him as a person. I, he, he, he plays like he plays like the punchline version, like the right. Saturday Night Live version of Richard Jewell. Yeah, that's like that's a good point. I was just thinking, uh, Clint Eastwood seems to want to tell a lot of stories that he thinks are very important that we should all rethink about. It's been twenty three years since the Atlanta Olympics. Am, am I mistaken? Yeah, because that was nineteen ninety six. So, sure. Yeah. Uh, Shouldn't this story have been told on the big screen by now? I mean, do people remember things like that? I guess maybe his crowd certainly does, right? Because they are old enough to remember, um, you know, papyrus uh, and stuff like that. <laughs> but 
I just get the thought that he's doing this because he's only doing things that really matter to him instead of wanting to tell an important story for a lot of people. I'm not going to see it. I mean, because I have choices in terms of where I get to go for theater. And I, you guys will have to see it. And I kind of feel bad for you. I'd love to be surprised by well, something. I hope it's though. good. It just... After 15, 19, whatever the fuck that was called. Worst movie ever made. Uh, if Richard Jewell goes out for ice cream in this fucking movie, I swear to God, I'm walking out. I'll get up and leave. You know that's a possibility, <laughs> but they're just going to document his day. <laughs> or, or it'll be like the day before, and he'll be like, I think I might be going over there. <laughs> uh, six Underground. Michael Bay. What the Brian hell is Reynolds. this? This is the, the largest Netflix budgeted film um, so far. Even more so than The Irishman? Yes. Wow. And Why? <laughs> because Netflix wants to join <laughs> everyone else in having the ability to produce large-scale theater-quality films. And so what you do for that is hire Michael Bay. This, this trailer looks like every single one of his films, but somehow there's nothing... Um, interesting about it and I say that but you want something new there's nothing necessarily new here it's just people in dangerous situations throwing out a lot of in in theory funny lines uh, shots from up from up so that you can you know see the girl in all of her glory as his disgusting self occasionally does and I don't know. There's there's Michael Bay that I have fun with. There's Michael Bay that really annoys the crap out of me. And this is number two. This is like if somebody who directed Fast and the Furious had never didn't really actually understand what's appealing about that movie. What <laughs> this would be because <laughs> they don't. There doesn't appear to be any kind of any true camp to this. There's no because he doesn't have any. He doesn't have any kind of concept of who he is as a director or how people see him. And, and so the, this is just him blurting himself all over the screen again like he usually does with the Transformers and all that nonsense. It's just loud and stupid and and even Ryan Reynolds can't uh, in this trailer can't overcome the, the noise of this fucking trailer. And he wasn't even that Ryan reynolds in the trailer. <laughs> that's, an, that's another thing too. If you said Ryan Reynolds is leading something, I'm, my interest is peaked, right? But somehow this trailer managed to drown out my interest in Ryan Reynolds too. So way, do, way to go. <laughs> I'm glad it's on Netflix because I can skip it. <laughs> there you go. For now. <laughs> yeah, until all of the theaters close. <laughs> uh, Birds of Prey. Um, I'm not I'm not on board for this. I'm not. Uh, after Suicide Squad being terrible and this awful voiceover, this voiceover narration in this trailer is terrible and just reminded me of everything I didn't like about this character in Suicide Squad. There's some of it that I liked. Uh, the fact that Mary Elizabeth Winstead is in it, which is a automatic "I'll go see it" uh, thing. As the Huntress, a character who it's she's a little overdue for her to be on screen. To be honest, um, I like the thought that it's not David Ayer making this film at all, and they're distancing themselves away from the idea of Joker and Harley Quinn on screen. He's not going to be in the movie. It's it's different, even though it has the same color palette as Suicide Squad and whatnot. I think it's just different enough that it, it has the potential to be good. My, my expectations are low. That's going to probably help this quite a bit. And uh, I do like watching 
Margot Robbie try her hand at this character, even even in uncomfortable moments or uncomfortable voiceovers, which I agree. Um, I still like what she does with this character, if nothing else. I thought she was definitely the best part of Suicide Squad. Far oh, yeah, away. absolutely. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know. I, it, the February release doesn't help. It does look kind of yeah. bubblegummy, but it should be fun. I mean, they definitely have a lower bar to work with now. And I don't know. Have fun with it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. As, as a villain, would you rather have Ewan McGregor or Cara Delevingne trying to gyrate uncontrollably? Yeah, but Ewan McGregor just looks like every, every actor gets an opportunity to just be as crazy as I want to be. I get to be wacky and wave my arms around. Hey, everybody, look how loose I am. I guess this is a Warner Brothers movie, and Dr. Sleep is a Warner Brothers movie. It could have been part of a contract where he's like, yeah, sure, I'll do Birds of Prey. <laughs> All right, Josh, this is the part of the show where we see what you've been watching lately. <laughs> <laughs> Whole lot of nothing. No, I, I mean, since the last time I was on in, in June, I believe, we were talking about Batman 89, and the slate going forward was a little slim. I think at that point I had just seen X-Men Dark Phoenix, and I was like, eh, it's not as shitty as Apocalypse, but still shitty. Uh, since then, I've seen like the abyss i concentrated on that because i i considered asking you guys to come back on to talk about the abyss i owned that copy i no longer own that copy (laughs) talk about some over bloated but neat looking at times nonsense you know uh for my wife fell asleep during that one like she had no interest because it lost her um i saw the new lion king film uh, it's very beautiful at times. I am, I'm very fascinated in their accomplishments on that one, but it, it doesn't hold a candle to the animated film to me at all. And a lot of it has to do with, uh, the interpretation of like Beyonce doing Nala, for example, and putting that extra song in there. You're not allowed to badmouth Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> I do appreciate Beyonce. But uh, there's just something a little off and self-serving about that part of it that I didn't care for. Um, I like Chiwetel Ejiofor's Scar quite a bit, but there was just something a little rote about The Lion King. Kind of like they they wanted to tell us the story in the most beautiful possible way again, but they forgot about what made the first one so emotional and and why we invested ourselves in it. It was a weird experience, you know. I saw Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, That is currently in my bottom three Marvel films so far. Uh, Really? Yeah, and you've got Jake Gyllenhaal in that, right? Who was... I I don't understand what he was doing with that character. (laughs) I didn't like him Oh, yeah, we didn't like that that much, did we? Uh, The the film seemed a little rushed. Uh, I I was bored. And I'm going to give it another chance. But that course, whole but. bar scene was kind of like, well, if this doesn't go well, <laughs> this movie doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, and and the, the confusion about whether or not Mysterio was a good or a bad guy was, was silly because if you knew anything about it going in, as you maybe should going to see something like this, He's a villain. There, there wasn't like a doubt. So. It worked for my son, who had no. He goes, "No, he's a good guy, Dad." Oh, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> so, if you're seven, 
the other major release that I saw in the theater was Ad Astra, and I'm conflicted about that movie. I think that it's beautiful. It's one of the more beautiful things that I've seen. I love how they worked a planet that isn't talked about on screen ever in Neptune really made that seem like something that really existed. Um, and Tommy Lee Jones, I, I echo what you said about his performance. It's really incredible. He was, he went to a place oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that place really came off on, on the screen. Now I, I stopped just short of loving his performance there more than Sam Gerard in the fugitive, but at the same point, I can understand where you're coming from from that. It was very dark and interesting. The only thing about this, like Gravity, this is a space story that wants us to be scared of space and wants us to be scared God, of discovery. What's that? God, I need to see this movie. Because <laughs> that's what I, I mean, that's where you and I differ when it comes to space. Space terrifies me. Okay. Space in the ocean, uh, for whatever reason. And, uh, I that's why I, I like that. I mean, Alien does it really well. It's yeah, yeah. Uh, I like using space as a scary place, but I understand your point. Discovery yeah. matters too. It does, and I think what this movie is saying is, well, you know what, humanity is all we've got. And then I'm like, oh, hold on a second, hold on, hold on, hold on. It messes with my whole thought of the universe, and and if it is what this movie says. Then I'm 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 going to a dangerous dark place mentally with that because it just doesn't vibe with my worldview and so I can't hold it against the film. I can't say that I don't like it. Well, I do like it. It's just it makes me feel weird feelings, <laughs> <laughs> like when we used to climb the rope in gym class. You know, all tingly inside. I can never do that. <laughs> oh, I got it once and then I fell. That's, I got three quarters of the way up once and then lost it. <laughs> But uh, that note. <laughs> That's amazing. I uh I I didn't have a chance to see it chapter two yet. We we keep planning on it and because of its length, um we really would have to plan on that and 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 my wife wants to see it. I'll give her that credit. She did watch the first one with me is a revisit and uh, she was intrigued. I, I guess I don't know. Is it worth it, guys? I mean, sucks ass. It's terrible. It's a piece of shit. Yeah. Oh, that's no really good. unfortunate. It's really no good. Well, maybe I'll just skip the theatrical experience <laughs> then and, and save that cash. But. Well, hopefully, we'll lower the bar enough to make it at least enjoyable. <laughs> I, I have discovered some very interesting TV, but this is not a TV <laughs> podcast. So, but I mean, you know, the weird thing about like I've watched this show called Maniac. You guys may have heard of yeah. with uh, Jonah Hill and Emma Stone. I've watched the first few episodes of that, and that's fascinating. And it made me think to myself, because Kerry Fukunaga is in charge of that show. He's the guy that's directing the next Bond film, and he was supposed to be in It. Uh, he was going to direct It originally. And I love his visual palette so much. It made me start to think, man, we really are getting away from the theatrical experience here. Mm -hmm. You've got two people around the age of 30 that are in their prime of acting, and they're going to a series that's on Netflix with a very established director. And although I know that they can have it both ways, right? For me, it's like, man, I would have loved to have, pref I would have preferred to have seen Maniac on screen. You know I what I'm saying? feel like this conversation may come back up in a little bit. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, 
at least I have a thought on that for one of the other movies we're going to get to. <laughs> but um, I've been watching a shit ton of TV, and that's where I'm at now. <laughs> well, you're making me... I mean, Sean made me want to see Ad Astra. Now, oddly enough, I want to see it more. Uh, it just looks like something right up my alley. Uh, Judy, want to start there? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll start with Judy. I don't care. I, lo- I love Judy. It's my favorite movie of the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Judy is the story of uh, Judy Garland and uh, the final days of Judy Garland. And what this movie, I, I was, I guess, what really works about this movie is that I had this fear of this film being this sort of uh, camp, uh, horrific thing. Like it was just going to be uh, Renee Zellweger humiliating herself playing Judy Garland, and that is not the case. She nailed it. She, she had, she's got a real thin spot to get to here to, to make this work because it could it could tip over into caricature at any moment uh, with with Judy Garland and she avoids that so brilliantly and it's such a, a full bodied performance it's the final uh, final weeks of her life uh, she's uh, been forced to leave her kids with her ex husband who's not a good guy uh, and she's not okay with that but she doesn't have any money she's got nothing she's literally when we see her she's performing at a dinner theater with her two kids for a hundred and Fifty bucks, and we're talking about the top box office draw of you know the 1930s and 40s. I mean, she was the biggest star in the world for a time, performing for 150 bucks in front of you know 20 people at a at a dinner theater. It's it's a it's a fall from grace that that the movie underlines incredibly well. The one place where she can still go, where she can make some money, because she's become unreliable due to her behavior, is London and uh, this place called Talk of the Town. And uh, they still love her there. They still, you know, believe in her there. And she's going to go there for five weeks and perform and make the, make hopefully enough money to go back and reclaim her children. And it's a poignant, sad thing because we know uh, from history that doesn't happen. Um, and it's really unfortunate. And you see <clears throat> around her all these terrible people, uh, many so many terrible people. One of them looms in her past, which is Albie Mayer. And he's pl- he's played here by Rupert Gould, who's the director of the film. And what Rupert Gould does in this movie is create this um, this Shakespearean level of tragedy around her, where she's got all of these villains surrounding her, and Mayor stands above them all as this looming force. He's huge. He's massive. He's shadowy, and you know he's he's controlling her entire life from the time she's with uh, in the Andy Hardy movies uh, to the time when she's you know becoming. Uh, Wizard of Oz, taking on Wizard of Oz, and and he's just de- just dominating her entire life, giving her drugs, keeping her away from food, keeping her you know image in place. It's horrific. But then you see everybody in her life the way that they did that, and you get to see aspects of that throughout. So it takes that those moments, and then you get the moments where she does meet good people who genuinely do care care about her, like Jesse Buckley's character, who is the uh, manager of this place, who is as it once keeps a distance, but at the same time has just this aching feeling for this woman that she's just she's maddened by her because she keeps she's driving her crazy, but at the same time she senses this depth of sadness and the way this person hasn't been cared for properly, and then you have this amazing scene. It's maybe my favorite scene in a movie all year. Uh, and it's just this made-up scene about uh, these two gay guys who just, they, they adore Judy Garland. They, they, they still hang on to her as the biggest star in the world. And it's London in the late 1960s. We're about 10 years away from the time when being gay was actually a criminal act. And there's this 
just this wonderfully poignant scene where she, everybody's gone. The, the crowds are gone. They're the only two left. And she's so lonely. She goes home with them. She lets them take, take her home and just be with them for the night. And she, they have this conversation and it's just, it's, it's a beautiful moment. And I, I can't get enough of that moment. It's really, it's powerful. And uh, that's really what this movie, that movie, that, that stands out for me. And a lot of things stand out from this movie for me. Oh, you think it'll hang around in award season time? Maybe. Uh, it's it, it's going to need a lot of luck. Lot it's of not going to do very well at the box office, I don't think. But it's getting a lot of critical praise. And, I mean, Renee Zellweger, did she ever win? I believe she has. Chicago. Uh, oh, yeah, Mountain, right. Chicago, yeah. That's right. Uh, but still, I can see her. She hasn't really done anything in a while. It'd be a good comeback story. <clears throat> but that's cool. It's always nice when a... I was really surprised. Really surprised. Did she do all of her own vocals in she this did. film? Yeah. That's the part that I was uh, interested in f- at the beginning because Judy Garland had such a particular bombastic voice of that time. And knowing The Wizard of Oz is one thing, but also Christmas tunes and, and other tunes yeah. that she had. I, I'm familiar with her enough to know that that's a tough thing to imitate. And uh, I did not know that Renee Zellweger, beyond Chicago, had um, more than that range. So that's it's, interesting. It's not mimicry. You know, she's not doing an exact Judy Garland, well, and, but she's got the energy. Of but it. to your point, you could easily make that goofy and not, you know, just right. be campy and not work. So it's and really now cool. you feel like you you feel as if she could do a Vegas review. <laughs> like yeah, it's that level uh, of awesome. And when you see the performance of of somewhere over the rainbow in this movie good luck <laughs> yeah i believe you yeah uh was there anything else that you saw that you wanted to talk about before we get going to uh, the big movie no not really um yeah i made him miss abominable i mean he watched it but <laughs> yeah, I, I, I watched it really that. liked it so <laughs> you liked it i did yeah. oh cool you can talk I about it if you want it. It. yeah I, I, I saw that you wrote about it uh so yeah go see abominable <laughs> Definitely. Uh, sorry for making us uh, skip that episode. <laughs> uh, Joker, the most polarizing movie of the year, the most controversial movie of the year. Uh, sure. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix stars as Arthur Fleck, uh, a guy who seemingly has the entire world against him. It's uh, 1981. He's working as a, a clown, uh, twirling a sign. And the first things we see of him is him getting the sign stolen. He gets beat up, uh, the sign gets broken, and then he gets charged for the sign. Like, it's just a compiling of things that keep happening to him. And uh, slowly but surely, as the world is uh, kind of descending into, the world of Gotham City is descending into a sort of chaos, he is descending as well. And the the two uh, downward spirals at once are... are, uh, well-timed and well-put-together. Um, Joaquin Phoenix is Joaquin Phoenix. He's maybe the finest working actor today, and uh, this is certainly an incredibly full-bodied uh, performance on his part. Um, I, I was left cold in the end by this movie because I didn't... I think this movie wants to be everything to every audience, and I don't think it wants to own anything, and I think, it, uh, and I think the ending especially goes out of its way to disown any type of reading of this movie. Uh, by making everything a dream, and that pissed me off. Oh, I, just, I loved that part. That was the one thing that I was actually having a problem with the relationship because uh, that 
just didn't make sense with the rest of the movie. I read, I read that right away. I wasn't. I didn't have a problem with that. I read that <clears throat> what was going on there very quickly. Right, and I don't necessarily think you needed to show the flashbacks. Uh, I, I, but uh, I'm glad that you know there was. I don't. I, it was pretty obvious. But I guess what part is the dream aside from everything? I mean, you could. I mean, you could argue that nothing that he went through actually happened. That he'd been in an asylum his whole life, apparently. I mean, you could argue that if you want to put it together uh, and think about it as a whole. He probably he could have never gotten out of out of an asylum. Anyway, I guess you could argue that 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 is possible. Because stylistically, stylistically, Phillips doesn't do enough to make it visually different to to give you a sense of this is real, this isn't, and it's so he can it's so he can go back and disown any part of it that he wants to. Hmm. How to start? You should go first. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess I, I don't necessarily agree with any of that. I don't mind the, st- I, I don't mind the style being the same. Uh, it's, it is. I will say one thing. I, I have read your review. The one thing I agree agree with, but I think it's a positive is the use of the unreliable narrator. They pick and choose when they use it. It's not a constant. He's not always unreliable. Uh, but in in reading Sean's reviews, he's very much Switzerland. He's he he's <laughs> not. I mean, you know, he's not the. A lot of critics piss me off with their reviews. Uh, so when I I am not picking on Sean or not directing at this, but there were some people who just missed the point. I I think uh, in some aspects, you know, I wonder. I, I, if a movie like Taxi Driver could come out today, you know, if they would be able to be released uh, and get to the theater. And there definitely is a fuck you kind of, I'm going to put in a Batman movie uh, and do, do something like this. They're going to give me a hundred million dollars. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. And I know that's not enough to make the movie good, but that attitude does kind of, it's, it, I, I appreciate that. You know, it, it bothers me that all we're getting is that, you know, we are getting, you know, Midsummer, the best movie of the year, not here very long. You know, even Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the second best movie of the year, not here very long. You know, it's, these movies don't get a chance to breathe. They don't get a chance to grow their audience. If you're a Tarantino fan, you go see it right away, then it, it, it disappears. These comic movies are what's keeping the theaters alive, and it's, I do appreciate that that kind of dickish attitude that he has making this movie. Uh, that said, I'm not saying it's better or worse than Taxi Driver. I'm just there's that. Uh, but they establish that he's crazy, and everybody seems to keep that out of their review. They see the world beat him up, and that's the way he is. Well, that happens too, but he's crazy, and they establish that just fine. <laughs> And uh, and he is the Joker. We know what he becomes. You know that seems to be forgotten in a lot of people's reviews, and that bothers me. Uh, he's a bad guy. This isn't. Uh, he, they're not glorifying him. Yes, there were characters in the movie that did, and that happens in real life. There are people that buy Charles Manson shit. I mean, this this movie this movie really does just turn a mirror back at us, and that's what it is. I mean. I guess you could say he distanced himself from any responsibility, but it's still accurate. The mirror is pointed back at us, and it shows you everything that's wrong with 
everything we have going on right now. And I don't mind that it doesn't take a side. Uh, it just, it just, it's a mirror. And I, some people don't want to deal with that. And that really bothers me. It really does. The, what, what I have read myself in, uh, was expecting was a, was a low bar uh, based on the reviews that I read and specifically stating um, a, a lot of what appeared to be predetermined negativity in in mentioning Todd Phillips. Well, I didn't think he was capable of making this, and here he is trying to make something. I'm like, well, no, he he made it. Uh, this movie to me is. It hit a spot that I wasn't expecting it to hit. Knowing knowing the director, I put all the bias in there because I'm not getting paid to do reviews, thank God. Uh, I had a very concerned bar going into this. Joker is my favorite villain. And the reason why is because of that mirror, that occasionally that character will shine. And, and the idea of flipping everything on its head and making people try and figure out their own demons before attacking somebody else, that was appealing to me. And throughout this film, I sensed small um, injustices that eventually the plot decided to turn into justices. And uh, whatever my personal thoughts are, I mean, I think it's been pretty clear on, on this show in the past, like you can tell what I would lean towards or something like that politically, but besides politically human wise, there's not enough justices. And so when you get to the point where you say you can't do this because that takes away our freedoms, but you can't do this because that takes away our freedoms. And then you, remove the access for him to get better and feel better. And then it's just kind of like, well, what do you want me to do, man? My entire life I've been, uh, from the Joker's perspective, I've been abused. I've been mistreated. I've been X, Y, Z. Here I am trying to take care of my mom. And there's no, there's no justice for him getting mistreated for so long. But then we will look at him and say, you're crazy. And that's it. And you're a bad guy. And we never stop to wonder why. We never look at Thomas Wayne and say, well, he's probably a crazy person because of people like you, piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, um, and I love that Todd Phillips said, uh, fuck you to the Wayne family and Alfred Pennyworth for that matter. And said, hold on a second, before we just automatically assume that the Waynes have done nothing but glorious things, like uh, Linus Roche portrayed in the Dark Knight trilogy, before we just accept Alfred as that wonderful old man who takes care of Bruce Wayne, why don't we look at how he's treated other people as well, instead of what Batman is doing to fix everything? This turns everything on its head for me in terms of the lore and relates it to something in our actual world that matters to me. I found myself cheering not for the bad acts, but cheering for society to finally have to do something about all of the shit they let happen. And, and that was such a personally attractive thing to me that I ended up loving this movie. Yes, it's, it's dark, but it's, it's 
it's like earned. If you're not going to have Joker be a sociopath in a movie about the Joker, then what was the point of him brutally murdering certain people? If you weren't going to have a movie about Joker missing out on certain points in time mentally and fantasizing about certain things, why are you going to make a movie about the Joker then? This is all the character lumped into one and making it relevant and, and timely. And then on top of that being cinematically beautiful to look at, Joaquin Phoenix's performance is just electric. Um, the music, the score for this movie is incredible. It's constantly wrapping, uh, ramping up that danger. I, I, I got, again, got slightly scared at this movie, uh, especially once we get towards the end when I knew what was probably oh, yeah. going to happen. I kind of figured it from the trailer. <laughs> yeah. I figured that, but, but it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me at all because there's such a danger in the room when he's there. He's like, what is he going to do to the, is he going to, what is he going to do? I don't know. And that unpredictability led to such a visceral feeling in, inside. I'm so, I'm just impressed to no end um, to what Todd Phillips did with this this content and uh is a person i can't speak to him because i don't know him and i know that he may have said some ridiculous things whatever the case may be what he did with this content this movie is a big old i think needed middle finger to a lot of different things and, and i read your review too and i agree with a lot of the things that you said too up to the point where uh we got to the nihilism idea which is uh, nihilism is the idea of uh, i feel nothing lebowski you know <laughs> right <laughs> but <laughs> it's it might not be the kind of nihilism we need but it's the kind of nihilism we deserve it's up till that point i am fascinated by this movie the fact that it's polarizing might actually mean something for real this time. I am so happy too that there's been like no word so far of of violence in oh, yeah. theaters and everything like that. I, I want to expose this movie to as many people as I can, and I want them to to feel it. I want them to hurt, and 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 not in the. We're, we're not. I'm not, not the Joker. literally. <laughs> but boy, do I get it when you have somebody who's treated like garbage from the moment that they were brought into the world. Well, yeah, our society deserves the Joker. Ugh. So I'm okay with everything that happens as, I, as a result. I love your reading of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do. And I just my my problem with it is I think that your read of that movie. Somebody else with a completely different perspective can find what they want in this as well. They can twist it just as easily because the okay, structure, okay. because it's not structurally sound. Uh, they can they can take this and mold it into what they want it to be. It is a mirror, and you can see whatever you want in that mirror, and that's really what's unfortunate about it. Uh, that's what really. Uh, that's what my biggest issue with the movie is. There's just from a structural standpoint, from a, uh, it just it to me it doesn't it doesn't completely work. Because it, I think it, I think it uh, is able to own and disown whatever part of the narrative it wants to, and that's uh, that doesn't work for me. Yeah, I think I, I prefer a movie that had a little bit more courage in that, in having a perspective. See, I, and, I don't. Uh, go ahead. But 
Yeah, that said, I think the Murray Franklin scene, I think, is an incredible scene. I think it's well, it's exceptionally well directed. It's charged. It's one of the better scenes in any movie this year. It's uh, really a, a really great, great scene. I do think it is a comic book scene. I don't think people give give this movie enough credit as a comic book movie because that is a comic book scene. It fits perfectly in the comic book universe. Yeah, I, I guess I would say it's a difference of opinion and that I think it's more brave to not take a side. I think it's because both sides are wrong and that's what no one seems to ever want to agree with and if you take a stand then you're saying this side's right and that side's wrong and it really now because of that you have the problem of someone taking it and just totally misrepresenting it and that's not fair either that's not right and that's the result of what happens and that may be unstructurally sound, but that's actually one of the things I like about it a lot. You read a lot of the critics that like totally hated it. And again, I am not pointing this at you because I, I respect your opinion and your review was very – what you said is absolutely right. It's just more of a difference of opinion between me and you. That means nothing. But there are people that are especially left-leaning that really hate this movie. Yeah, yeah. And that that bothers me. Because it's like, well, no, we're right. You know, we're doing this. You know, it's, and whenever I see someone, and it's getting better, but there was that time back, you know, around 2016, 15, where we were all over social media and it was just like headline after headline. We were fighting with each other and it, it was just ugly. And it still exists. It's not perfect yet, but it, it frustrates me that we don't realize you know what, what what we can do to make things better you know i i you know i went vegan because part of the reason was i wanted to eat better but the other part is that's the number one environmental problem and you know everybody's out there posting anti-environment what you can do to help the environment but none of nobody went vegan you know you know i could sit there and do that to people but i'm not i don't really believe that i don't i don't think that's productive if i did that all you can do is piss you off at me and you're not. It's, no one's going to get the point of what the real problem yeah. is. So your idea is to present just a new side of something and say, "Okay, have you considered this?" Or have you maybe not even do that much. You know, try to just. This is me. It's working for me. I, you know, I'm enjoying it. Uh, when I was losing weight, it was really working. Uh, <laughs> now that I'm not anymore, it, uh, but I, I guess that's. And obviously, I'm bringing that. You know, that's part of that mirror you refer to. That it's everything. Uh, but I, I like that about that about this, and I I, I like that the movie has the courage to kind of take Batman and Iron Man and be like, really, these are the guys you're going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to see. They're not that great, you know. Uh, there, there's just a lot there, uh, but there's a lot that could be taken wrong. I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, but that's kind of the consequence of doing it that way, which I feel is brave because of the ability to, I don't know. It's just more of a difference of opinion than anything. This is nowhere near as heated as I thought it would get. <laughs> no, I, I, the, the good idea is we all have a history of trying to respect each other's opinions, which doesn't all automatically happen when you roll into public. And something like this, it goes and, and asks everyone to say like, Hey man, uh, what about this part? Have you have you thought about this? Instead of just saying X person is crazy, have you considered all of the bullshit that they had to deal with their entire life to get 
to that point? Have you attacked the source? <laughs> uh, somebody dealing with uh, years and years of, of trauma, have you considered finding out what happened to them and, and investigating that? No, it's just uh, act, react, act, react. Instead of uh, looking abroad at a broader picture, I saw this film as saying like, hey, uh, I'm going to rap on your chamber door a little bit here so that maybe you can start looking at a bigger picture. That's cool with me. And I will say this, and it could go back to more to Sean's point, is it may be how frustrated I am with where we are right now as a society, more so than the movie. And the movie just kind of comes out. Now, maybe in 10 years, this movie doesn't work. It doesn't hold up the way. I, I, that's entirely possible. This might be I'm bringing more to it. I mean, obviously, we, I'm bringing it to it. But uh, I, it, it just hit me in the right way. And uh, I, I don't know. To that point, I think uh, also, it, like I said, it, the mirror aspect, you see what you want, the way you see what you want to see of this movie. Uh, that reflects what you're seeing, how you see the world right now. Maybe if you're, if you're more cynical, uh, maybe or you know, it reflects that. But I'm I'm actually much less cynical than I've ever been before, and uh, and it reminded me. I'm reminded of the scene in Dark Knight, uh, the boat scene, where in the end, you know, Joker thinks that they're going to think only of themselves and they're going to just just destroy the other boat because that's where humanity is. It's awful. And they don't. And that reflects the way I see the world, because I think there are more good people in the world than there are bad. I, right. No, you're right. Uh, I do think they had a pulse. (laughs) But (laughs) at the same time, you know, one of the, you you talk about the Me Too movement, you talk about Trump. One of the good things that's happened, and the cancel culture, yeah, we're getting annoyed with some of the, the fighting back and forth, but behind the scenes, it is getting better. You know, one of my favorite insults used to be the F word, you know, the slur for, I just love, I didn't have really any intent other than it was just like calling someone a dick, you know? And, you know, once you start seeing that it hurts certain people that you're friends with, it it just leaves your vocabulary. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what all is happening right now for most of us. Uh, there's still that front line, that that facade that's out there on social media that we're dealing with. So I, I am aware that it's getting better. It, it doesn't always feel like it. But then when I see, like, you know, I still, well, that kid in the Iowa State-Iowa game who raised $2 million, I still saw people bitching about him being a racist. I'm like, okay, let's move on. They, he, he raised two fucking million dollars. <laughs> he, you're, you're bringing up an excellent point in that, and I really wish I had said before, it's not just the conversation. It's the opportunity for um, getting better at something, uh, educating oneself, educating your loved ones, um, the populace in, in general. That is an educating moment right there. The guy may have done something in, innocuous or otherwise, whatever the case may be, but it seems clear that he learned from some errors and immediately backed away from that and said, I made a mistake. Boy, that seems like a real teachable moment. Uh, I, I see this character as a real centerpiece of the entire comic universe, which has a lot of morals in theory to teach us as something that will just say like 
pay attention, pay attention, whether or not his end game is correct. Uh, obviously morally wrong, but pay attention. And, and that that's very appealing to me as somebody who is constantly distraught by the number of little injustices every day. Some caused by me, I might add. And, and I do think that in this movie, I think one of the big criticisms of it is everybody is awful, you know, and I think you can make that argument, but I also think you can make the argument that almost everybody has some good in them too. I mean, they're definitely, everybody can find something wrong with somebody else all the time. And, uh, and, you know, we sit there like for whatever reason, Mel Gibson is one I've grabbed onto where it's like, okay, he definitely said these things. That was also a long time ago, you know, and it, it, I, how's he doing that? Right. Yeah. And we'll never truly know. And then he does a movie and there's a certain scene in there where you can kind of, well, he didn't change. We don't know. We don't know. You know, it's, we don't know, you know. And again, to Sean's point, bringing a lot of this to the movie there, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to victim shame anybody, but at the same time, there's people pretending to be victims you know there's different at the same you know everybody is awful in their own way and everybody is good in their own way and and no one wants to look at everything that way there's certain people we just want to vilify and leave them villains and not that we should look at someone who would go in and shoot up a school what's good about them but maybe we could learn why they were doing it Maybe yeah. that might help. I mean, obviously the gun thing's one thing, but we're not getting anywhere there. <laughs> Here we are with this movie, uh, putting extra security into theaters, plainclothes officers, et cetera, et cetera. And I haven't seen a story. I'm sure it exists, but I've read a lot this week <laughs> trying to be better educated about this film. And But I haven't seen the article yet or the conversation yet about, oh, shit, that's pretty fucked up, isn't it? (laughs) Maybe we should do something about that, you know? Eh. Uh, Okay, so their their idea is to act, react, act, react, and never uh, go for the source. We don't have conversations anymore. You know, this has gone pretty – this has been a pretty good conversation, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, podcasts offer that, but – Articles don't, headlines certainly don't. Social media, they allow it in 140 characters. Yeah. Uh, but that's, I don't know. And if nothing else, I hope that's what this movie ends up creating behind the scenes. Because that's what a lot of the Me Too movement's done. That's what a lot of the cancel culture has done. It's allowed, you know, yeah, Louis C.K.'s canceled some people. He'll be fine. He's out there touring now. <laughs> but we're having, a, you know, we're all back to it with our friends talking about it. And we're, you know, we're discussing it and I think progress is happening. Uh, and the more people that step up and say, yeah, taking your dick out in front of somebody who doesn't want you to is bad. I sad to say that we have to have that conversation, but we do because he did that. Right. (laughs) You know, and we, apparently we need to tell people not to do that. (laughs) Right. And one of the most popular human beings on the planet at the time was doing something incredibly horrible. Uh, there's your teachable moment. We actually have to tell people not to take their dick out in front of people. Right. But then then what comes with that is then Dave Chappelle is a special and now we're whining about that when there's really nothing. It's just kind of, it's really not an argument, but what it's doing is behind the scenes, we're having these conversations amongst ourselves. And I, I 
overall it's productive and it, it's just kind of a shitty time to get through. And I do think you're going to see us come out the other side. And I hate to say it, Donald Trump's a lot of credit for all this. <laughs> am, I, am I wrong? <laughs> I may get there with that. He's created it. It's his fault. He's against <laughs> it. He's the reason. My attempt is to not act or react to your statement, <laughs> but to take it in and try and figure it out later when I'm at peace. <laughs> you know, one, one thing that, that the three of us, though, need to remember is that this conversation is extraordinarily easy for us. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. as a. You know, 40-something white males, we've had it very fucking easy. Very easy. We've oh, never been... We've as, never been. <laughs> as the white part, as the male part, yes. Well, that's That doesn't mean our lives have been easy. No, no, no. no. But, I mean, in terms of how society views us, we've got advantages over so many other people. We've that's had our struggles. It's just a different struggle that we'll never understand. You know, it's... And, I, right. It's Society wasn't constructed to hold us back. And in many ways, society was constructed to hold other people back. Right. Indeed. I like to be aware of that in an attempt to uh, further further that. The, the, the really sweet part about this movie is there's going to be some conversations. And my gosh, how many times can you say that about a, a DC or a Marvel film or whatever the case may be, right? And I, earlier, I had, I had stated on a... Uh, and on another episode, which you may hear eventually, that I didn't consider this a comic book film. I, I obviously it's DC's Joker, but I kept watching this, saying to myself, "Man, this is a movie. Man, this is a movie." And I felt the same way when I was watching The Dark Knight. Um, that. It just happens to have the Joker in it. It just happens to involve some of his mannerisms. I don't think they played that up too much at all. Like, he's got a laugh, but boy, it's not fun. Makes you feel uncomfortable inside. And and you also feel for him a little bit, but you feel uncomfortable feeling for him because you know what he's capable of and you know that he's dangerous. Oh, it's a movie first to me. I I put it real super high on my list, and I I had to consider whether or not this is my new favorite film. I it requires additional viewings to to do something like that, but in the meantime, I placed it where I placed it because I think it deserves it for me. It, it spoke to me, <laughs> and I'll definitely I'll own up to being way more cynical i I have no problem owning that uh but at the same time being aware that it is getting better uh what this i don't know it just seems like every time we take a step forward we take two or three back but that might not necessarily be what's really happening Mm -hmm. it just feels that way it's it's a cool way to look at it It, the guy who i mean you're you're involved in daily news yeah. Often, so you're up front and hearing things first and getting it out there, having to talk about it often, and you're talking about how oddly enough you're less cynical than you used to be, and you're thinking a bit on the opposite side, right? And I have always said to myself, I don't know whether or not I'm cynical. I would like you to prove it to me, <laughs> um, and I, I want things to prove themselves to me. This this movie is like a Ah, prove it to me. Somebody's thinking about this. And I'm wondering if it's the conversation more than the movie. You know, I, I, I can't, I, I don't know. It's, 
I'll I'll be willing to be open to that possibility. But I the experience really brought out a lot of emotions, and I was excited to get here and at least talk about it. I was worried we were gonna like totally disagree, <laughs> but then when I read Sean's review, it was more I, it was more like you said structural. It was more. You no, know, I like I called him Switzerland earlier. I think, but uh, it it's I don't know. It was then it'd be way more fun. Like almost when we don't all agree, it was one of the more fun moments I've had <laughs> doing the show. Usually, when we have those moments, we're all agreeing, and we disagree. That's awkward. Well, I'm glad one of us did have a dissenting voice. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event for the linear, legitimate. And universally recognized, undisputed classic. Uh, undisputed classic is the man who laughs. Yeah, 1929 silent film, uh, based off of a Victor Hugo story about a man who, uh, as a child, he has a a uh, I guess a gypsy cuts his face to so he, into a permanent smile. And uh, the look of Conrad Beat uh, in this movie is uh, allegedly what inspired uh, the creation of the Joker. Uh, it is a disturbing visual, to say the least. It is uh, his, the pain in his face as he's trying to hold that. In, I'm, not sure, I'm sure there's some makeup involved as well, but uh, just it, it is pained. And the way he, he uses his face is incredible. It's a... Yeah, silent film acting, that's, you know, a lot of what you do is facials, but he's got a lot of really hard work to do there. It's a mundane story. Right. I mean, <laughs> there isn't much to the story. There's really nothing to this story. He's uh, His struggle is interesting enough, but uh, there's nothing to this. Uh, there's, it's it's lightweight. Uh, it, the... the uh, I think I turned it off with about 30 minutes left because, like, okay, well, he just escapes and gets away and they fall in love and blah, blah, blah. In the book, they die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they escape and then die. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, this was, it, it, on a visual level it, right. and on a performance level, I think he's impressive. This is not a movie that I ever needed to see or need to see again. I'm with you on the don't need to see again part, but I am glad I saw it mainly because I knew about that visual inspiration and, and that was always intriguing to me that you would create something so powerful out of something that isn't yours, you know, uh, the inspiration. Ooh, int- okay. For something that I love so much that I, I better check that out. Uh, and having some knowledge of Conrad Veidt from Casablanca, uh, I guess I, I never thought of him being under makeup or to have that kind of hair design or whatever, but he kind of, he looks really different in Casablanca. I was remarking uh, to my wife last night and she made it through about five minutes of the movie. And uh, I said, okay, um, his look right there he looks like he's probably oh 30 years old roughly but then we get to casablanca 13 12 13 years later and he looks 75 years old in that movie <laughs> and the man died young he, he was in his 40s if i'm not mistaken uh when he passed away and in in his profile picture on imdb he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth so <laughs> and uh with a lack of filter i imagine that he he died of lung cancer or something like that yeah he's 50 years old and uh yeah he looked like he was 70 for sure yeah um but did i enjoy this 
Well, no, not really. Um, but I certainly enjoyed the design of his character and some of the facial expressions that he made. And I also stuck with it for the entire hour and 50 minutes, which I didn't think was going to happen at first. Uh, I think I've only seen a couple of other silent films before. Uh, Duck Soup and the General, perhaps? And I'm not even positive that Duck Soup is a no, silent no. film. Duck Soup is not a duck. Okay. <laughs> then I was remembering incorrectly and just thinking of an era is yeah. all silent film. But uh, the, the General, I think, was. And, and I was worried about my ability to stick with something that out of tune with what i'm used to i gotta read this movie (laughs) and in that case (laughs) it it wasn't so much uh uh the reading but is the odd structure right right? right. and the constant uh symphonic in the background lulls you into a state of almost sleep you know but i stuck with it the entire time and i'll give the film that much credit uh noting that it was a victor hugo story too was interesting oh so the guy that created Les Miserables is creating this particular story. I'd never it's made a, that connection yeah, before. Yeah, it's the, the one of the, the truly one of the most interesting things about a silent film like this is that uh is that musicians can come along and change it as much as they want yeah, in, yeah. in many different ways cuz you can you know this isn't the original instrumentation that anybody actually heard because most people when they saw this movie they saw it with an actual orchestra a band orchestra actually playing along with it uh so there's there's a a way that this movie can be altered and so over the years about by you know if somebody wanted to reinterpret this with the the music of metallica they could you know what i mean pretty cool (laughs) Uh, speaking of music i mean i went and saw the festival last weekend and rob zombie they had this his image was all i'm and I've seen it a bunch of times, and I'm sure it's been there before, but they had images from this movie all over the background of a set, which was pretty cool, which I, at the time, didn't know what it was <laughs> until the, this last time. I was like, oh, that's from The Man Who Laughs. <laughs> but, I mean, you're right. It's it's all image and kind of a bunch of fluff other than that. This is a kind of story that seems to have been repeated plot-wise uh, in a number of different ways. Uh, the hump. Hunchback of Notre Dame comes to mind uh, for obvious reasons. Definitely a theme of Victor Hugo's yes, that he enjoys. Yes. But, but also, um, I got to thinking about Thomas Harris. And if you think about Red Dragon, uh, Francis Dollarhide, Gwynplaine, the, the character in this, Dollarhide. I, obviously, the names don't sound alike, but you've got the same syllable structure. It ends right. with an E and everything. And then he is falling in love with a blind woman, just like the man who oh, laughs. I guarantee you there's... There's got to be a connection there. I was I was thinking of other stories that were probably similar to that as well, and I, I don't know if Victor Hugo's is the original of that, yeah. so at least I could give the story that kind of credit. It's so weird that it doesn't become sinister. Like you, I know. Because like, mm-hmm. I guess you may, it makes you think of the Phantom, which does become, you know, the character is sinister throughout, and uh, then then you have this character, and he's so innocent, uh, but he looks so terrifying. And even in the the books, I didn't read the book; I Wikipedia it. But <laughs> it's very similar to the movie. It's just when they get away, they die on the ship. So it's not like it gets sinister, and then that's it, it. Really, is kind of oh. So I don't like. Part of me was like, maybe they could remake this and use like some creepy dude. To, and, but no, it doesn't need to be remade. It. That's another thing too. There isn't a an English language remake of this that really exists. And uh, that's a little surprising because something like this that has a bit of a tie to a major bankable character like the Joker, you think they might do something like this. Maybe um, if they stop making Joker movies. 
<laughs> I suppose that's possible, but I, I'm really surprised by that, and I wondered what was behind that. Uh, as I understand it, it had been, based on Wikipedia, uh, had been kind of forgotten over the years until a certain point in time, and then it was restored and, and brought into the ether, I think, but was it Scorsese that yeah, I saw? I think so. Uh, he who says that comic book film, oh, just Marvel films aren't cinema. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm going to watch The Irishman. <laughs> He's getting old. Uh, 1989. Um, assuming we didn't see Welcome Home. Uh, oh. I, I, that was another thing <laughs> I got Bruce corrected Willis? on. No, that was okay. what we said, but uh, that was in country. Oh, yeah. I forgot Welcome Home was, though, so sorry, Uncle Jeff. An Innocent Man was like the highest grossing film, Tom Selleck. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was not a very good movie. Old Gringo. Oh, go ahead. You're going to say I was, When it comes to an innocent, I didn't get a chance to watch any of these, but I was going to go with an innocent man because my dad fashioned himself after Tom Selleck. So just as an honorific to him. But um, this had to have been like the start of the end for Tom Selleck being super relevant, right? Because after this, he just did nothing but TV movies where he played a, a, a dude. He had that who baseball was movie around to Japan. Mr. Baseball. Right? <laughs> and Frank Thomas was in it. Yes, yeah. of course. But uh, this seems to be the nearing of the end for Tom Selleck's yeah. relevance, even though it made a decent amount of money. Uh, old gringo, uh, Gregory Peck and Jane Fonda. Never saw it. Uh, then I watched Johnny Handsome only because Walter Hill directed it. Uh, <laughs> Mickey Rourke starts off as a really ugly man, has plastic surgery, and becomes really hot. Uh, <laughs> as the ugly man, he goes on this. It goes to a crime, and Ellen Barkin and the guy who's always a bad guy in every movie. I can't think of his name. They totally leave him at the scene of the crime. Gets arrested while in jail. They reconstruct his face. He turns into Mickey Rourke in his prime. Uh, he comes back and screws him over in the end. It's uh, very, really bad. Really, really bad. <laughs> so as soon as you said Walter Hill, I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh, maybe, I mean, maybe, but it's. I mean, it's. I enjoyed it for all the wrong reasons. I mean, Mickey Rourke in that mask, he couldn't even talk, and it was pretty hilarious. Uh, but it was. I mean, it was fun enough. I watched it this morning right after I watched Drugstore Cowboy. <laughs> Drugstore Cowboy, 1989, Gus Van Zandt uh, with uh, Matt Dillon uh, in the lead role of a drug addict. And uh, this is just about how he obtains drugs, why he takes them. Uh, and it's a it's a slice of life. And it's a, a very impressive performance by Matt, D- Matt Dillon. He, has, he really stands out uh, in a way that kind of makes you wonder why he doesn't stand out still. <laughs> you know, uh, he's not, not really around. He didn't Part of that is because he's just not made very good choices over the years in terms of the movies. He hasn't made, made uh, successful choices. Yeah. I think he's made decent choices. Uh, that The House of Jack built is fantastic. I think everybody should go see that right now, but nobody knows. It's right. not going to go to the theaters. It's, you know, it's kind of a Mandy-type movie. The the beauty of his face in this movie, you wonder why he wasn't the biggest star in the world at some point, because he's the, just that level of, of handsome in this movie. And uh, it's interest, that's an interesting way to... Pers- perspective because he's it adds a little bit of poignance to the character as well this is a guy who has the face and the charm to have anything he wants and he prefers to have drugs that is uh, certainly a, a that's a big part of this movie and a big part of the power of of that character is that you could sense that there was an opportunity at some point for him to have a much different life that he that he chose drugs instead um 
I'm fascinated by it, uh, and I definitely bought into it throughout. I don't know quite stylistically what the point is. Um, at a certain point, there's, he uses this uh, aspect of uh, found footage, uh, this they, this film camera footage for some reason, and you never find out why. It's just sort of there to break up, I guess, a visual monotony, but uh, it doesn't really add anything to the movie. And uh, and it kind of makes you wonder, like, what? Why are a bunch of drug addicts acting like Scooby Doo characters hiding behind pillars? <laughs> if you'd watch Scooby Doo, they're clearly on drugs. Shaggy was the original drugstore cowboy. <laughs> well, they are on, drugstore cowboy. They're clearly on uppers, <laughs> uh, which is something you pointed out before the show. <laughs> how lucid they are. Yeah. I liked I, I liked it. Like Gus Van Zandt just got this. You can tell when you're watching one of his movies, especially the early ones, they're just so different. And Matt Dillon, I I, I think he's still good. I just think he's he's kind of like Nicolas Cage and Joaquin Phoenix had a baby. Only he's kind of <laughs> he's kind of the most sane of the two of them. Uh, I I think a lot of it's intentional. It's not necessarily the best, you know, in terms of making money. Uh, but I I. I think he's picked decent roles just we're not watching the movies and that's unfortunate he's picked some bad ones too i mean that may be if you've ever suffered through one night at mccool's you know what i'm talking about (laughs) maybe that's why he started picking (laughs) matt dylan looked very much like a guy that i grew up with in my neighborhood who was a a bit of a bully and i had seen matt dylan in uh, i think it was the outsiders and rumblefish uh if i'm not mistaken i can't remember if he's in both or he's an outsider for sure okay uh and so I've always had a bit of a chip on my shoulder for him just because he looked like a guy that used to be super mean. Uh, and his voice is very gruff and everything like that, too. It looks like he'd be a bit of a bully in person, too. I'm putting so much on Matt Dillon, but I, I did want to see this one. This is what I, you know, I've, I regret missing because I've heard of this as being uh, an indie darling film from the 80s. And you don't find too many of those. It's almost like if you're not Jim Jarmusch, nobody saw your indie film in the 80s. So, Well, yeah, but when you make Goodwill Hunting, everybody goes back and watches them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he definitely has a unique voice, that's for sure. And, and it's a, the, the, he captures a part of life that uh, few filmmakers were capturing at that time. Is he also the director of My Own Private Idaho? Yep. Okay, and that one I'm interested in because I think that's... Is was that, that this year or was that last year? We did it already. Yeah, it was... Or was that was a classic? <laughs> oh, it a, must have been a classic. It was a classic, yeah. That you guys did after April because I know that I've not seen it and I definitely would have wanted to. Uh, River one. Phoenix yeah. is in it, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm interested Keanu. in the story behind that and I read... I didn't realize, for example, that Joaquin Phoenix's uh, last name was Bottom when he was born. Uh, just those tiny little details. And the whole family like traveled throughout. Be careful what you read on Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> I've been reading more that a lot of the stuff he would say is a total lie. <laughs> this just happened to be in a various amount of places. In right. generally places that I'm like, oh, okay, that seems okay to me. Um, but... His the story about River Phoenix's death and Joaquin's involvement in the nine one one call that was played that seems to be pretty verifiable. So oh yeah, that was that's definitely real. But there was that was an interview where he told a, re, a reporter that his dad was dead, and then he said, "No, and I'm just kidding." And then to the point where they finally let's be like, "Is your dad dead or not?" <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> which is kind of a weird thing to joke about. But uh, there's just a lot of things he, over the years he said that are is not true, and then people just start to take up this fact and re-reported it uh, that I just found interesting. Uh, he's a fun interview from what I'm getting at. I, I believe you. I hear that he had a fun interview this week on, uh, was it Kimmel or, or one of the other ones? Uh, that is our show. Next week, we got the Adams Family, Gemini Amy. Man, <laughs> Gemini Man, Jexy, and then we're going to watch Amy on Netflix, which is kind of like the horror Jexy. Uh, our classic is Adaptation. Uh, we're going to watch that one. And in 1989, a whole shit ton of movies came out. Look Who's Talking, Crimes and Misdemeanors, The Fabulous Baker Boys. That's when I realized I was going through puberty. <laughs> Halloween 5, just from the trailer, never having watched the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking In and To Kill a Priest. Uh, be a <laughs> fun. If you saw the movie at the time, you definitely would have hit puberty. <laughs> the trailer was enough. <laughs> I remember feeling the puberty pinch when I saw Look Who's Talking. I mean, you know, you got sperm at the beginning and end of the film with some humping in between. <laughs> I'm growing up, man. My mom's covering my eyes. Yeah, I specifically remember watching that. It was like we had to like leave the room because the grown-ups were going to watch this part, and we came back for the rest of it. It was really the Pulp Fiction one where Travolta and Bruce Willis started working together. <laughs> All right, before we go, I want to thank our Patreon supporters. Uh, I don't know what our Patreon levels are. I do know that our key group level is Charlie Messing and uh, Jason Bryant. Uh, Zach Kovemaker has joined a group. I don't remember which one it is. So thank you, Zach, for being part of the Patreon levels. Uh, the character actors, Christina Cato, Josh and Beth Paul, and Cousin Jeff... Uh, there are special effects lovers, Sarah Morrell, still around, even though Josh left. Good and job, Sarah. Corey Finneran. And uh, thank you so much to our Patreon supporters uh, for helping get us on Libsyn and, you know, helping us grow the show. If you want to be a Patreon supporter, head over to IHateCritics.net slash Patreon to help support the podcast. Uh, there's also the uh, the podcast merch there, along with PayPal. Uh I can't imagine we're doing a flick chart after almost five nah. hours of recording. <laughs> uh, episode 400 is coming out soon. So thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Josh, for coming back. Well, thank you for having me. Much appreciated. We'll see you next week. That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray. And we're the three best friends that anybody could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. We're the three best friends that anyone can have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. We're the best three friends that anybody I mean the three best friends that anybody can have the friends.